Welcome back to another episode of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. This is episode 47, but you already knew that because it was on the title, but I just thought I'd tell you anyway. We got Lucy Griffiths back. She's back with us for a second episode, and she's got quite the soapbox on this episode. So you're going to love this. Sit back, relax, grab your favorite beverage, take some notes, put the headphones on, all that other cool stuff. You're going to love this one. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you on the other side. Here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. We have Lucy Griffiths back with us. This is great, Lucy. It's good to have you Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah, you, might, you, you keep saying that you might be a, a, I know. a, a more permanent uh, addition to the show, which uh, would not be a bad thing. It would be great. I'm trying to elbow uh, my way in slightly. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. But you know how this works, right? Sally came in. We yeah. added Sally to the Tim and Chad show. And then where's Chad? <laughs> so be careful, yeah. Sally. Yeah. I'll buy you way in, Lucy. Not yeah, way I will. In. Yeah. I will. Not <laughs> way in. Yeah. All good. All good. Yeah. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, good. It's Friday. It's yeah. Friday. And yeah. it was a short week. So really good. Yeah. It felt like it was Friday on Tuesday. And then yeah. it's Friday again. That's okay. Oh. Yeah. I kept saying, like, I think I said three or four times on Wednesday, like, this feels like a Saturday to me because I was just doing stuff that I would normally do on a Saturday. Yeah. And my brain was just like, dude, this is not working. You can't, you can't take stats in the middle of the week like this. No, I know. Next next year it'll be a Thursday. (laughs) Yeah. I went full on. I took a social media free day. We went out to the West Coast for the day, like, you know, like tourists. That's awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been dialing back my Twitter interaction quite a bit lately. Same. Yeah. yeah. And I can't say that I miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very time consuming. And when you start waking yeah. up at two in the morning to carry on a conversation, because <laughs> you're so excited, <laughs> that there's a bit of a thread going here. Yeah. yeah I'm thinking, ah, oh, what's the big picture here? Yeah. What yeah. Big picture. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Twitter didn't miss me. Didn't miss me at all. It just actually, kept I did. I noticed. To be did honest, you? yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, see, your Twitter fans notice. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> I feel very, I feel very humbled by that. That's good. Oh, awesome. All right, so ladies, take it away. This is this is your topic, your show. I'm just here to listen and buckle up. So, <laughs> okay, hold on to your hats. Lucy okay. is going to get going on this one. Yep. Yeah, the the tangent series. No, (laughs) no. um, I think this it kind of comes full circle when um, you know with with Sally and I because we met um, because of irregularities in our trades in the in the personal services industry, and we came together because of the issues that were happening in in BC, and we noticed that you know the the inconsistencies across the country and coming from both of us coming from the UK and being part of um, the type of education and training that's put together for people in, you know, not just hair and, and uh, skin and body therapies and the, the, the personal services that we're from, but for all trades and how sitting guilds has been put together and how the national vocational system is portrayed in the UK and how it's, how, um, you feel that you are at a standard, whatever trade you step into, that you are, you are elevating the standard. And 
And I think when I first moved to Canada in um, 2006, um, I was just blown away by the fact that there was no standard of, of education for the um, the trade that I was in, which is beauty therapy or holistic therapy, skin and body therapy. And at the time, there was no tr- there was no standard for hair either. And that was in 2006. I think I met Sally in around 2011. Possibly, I was introduced to you around that time. Yeah, um, 10, I, 11. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe it was earlier than that. I don't and, know. I can't remember yeah. life before Lucy. And <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and I um, we was introduced by um, by Julie Wright, who was my department head at the time, and we was all kind of on the same kind of the same page in how we felt about this. Um, we felt kind of pissed off that there was no standard of education for what we'd worked so hard for. Um, our, our accomplishments here when I came over, oh, you're, you're an esthetician. Oh, so you go to school for a couple months and the work. And, <laughs> and I was like, I went to school for three years, to college for three years, to community college for three years, Monday to Friday, nine till five. Um, and, um, I worked extremely hard, just like, you know, Sally did in the trade. So, so yeah, so come in here and then, then there not being any standard within, within our practice or any recognition in our practice, even now in 2020, um, is, is, it's, it's, um, and I literally, we have been sh- scraping tooth and now trying to get there. Um, and not just obviously us. I mean, we've had uh, a ton of people that we work with that we've all been trying together to con- try and make this standard, and, and we haven't we haven't succeeded as of yet for for my trade for for Sally's trade. Obviously, we have the red steel, but even even with that, you know, it has been not an easy path. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Lucy, if I could just hop in there, just thinking yeah. back to one of the first times when I met you. It was actually at um, the skills event out in Abbotsford. That's right. And, and so I'm think, just thinking of, you know, what are, the, what are the ripple out effects of when you have trades such as, you know, hair and um, spa and beauty, you know, um, skin and beauty trades that are not, they're not regulated, they're not standardized, you know. So, okay, what does this mean? Well, you go to events like Skills in Abbotsford, and I forget how many trades there are there that day, the competitions that are going on. But um, both hair and it would be uh, the estheticians have actually had to, you know, fight for a place at this event because we're not recognized. And we've both been through sort of a real roller coaster ride of having the events there. And then there's been such um dysfunction with who's going to judge it so this is great example you go to the other trades um you know the carpentry the automotive or the just every other trade and there you have the instructors from all across bc as the judges and then you get to hairdressing and suddenly it's not the instructional faculty that are there as judges we've got um, members of a private group there doing the judging and this is one tiny little facet of you know a consequence of when there's not a regulated trade or standardized trade oh just just yeah. so our listeners know <clears throat> pardon me 
what you're talking about in regards to regulated trade, what you're talking about is that there, there's no red seal uh, designation for your trade when you've come to Canada. That, that's what you're talking about. Well, with hairdressing, there is a red seal now for hairstylists. Now, I mean, I understand that the red seal was here many, many years ago um, in BC because there are hairdressers going way back that had that red mm-hmm. seal. And I'm not sure on what year that was removed, but the, it was in 2004 when the hairstylist was deregulated, um, mm-hmm. when many of the other trades were deregulated. And it right. took us until 2016 to actually um, have hairstylists recognized as a red seal trade again. So it is a red seal trade, which is just fabulous um, for hairstylists throughout BC. I mean, it's not mandated. And I think Lucy's probably going to speak to this a little bit because in the time of COVID-19, when suddenly you realize that these public services are being, or these services being offered to the public, but there's no standardization of that, that education throughout the province. And so we have a red seal standard, but it doesn't mean to say you have to have it at all. There's nobody regulating that. So when COVID first hit, you know, there's like 5,000 practitioners easily, I think, um, throughout the lower mainland and the island. And there is no lead body there that's, 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 you know, that's actually putting into place um, and talking in the same language because presumably you would have all met the same standard, the Red Seal endorsement. But of course, that's not the case because it's optional. Right. Yeah. So what you're saying is you don't have to go through an apprenticeship to be a to be a hairstylist or an esthetician, right? It's no. it's not compulsory to go through an apprenticeship, much like it is compulsory to go through an apprenticeship for electrical or plumbing. They're, mm-hmm. they're compulsory trades. Yeah. Ironically, carpentry is not a compulsory trade either. Yes. You don't have to serve an apprenticeship to be a, a carpenter, which kind of blows my mind. But yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So it was but deregulated. In, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the thing is with carpentry and like heavy duty and mechanics, auto mechanics, which again is not, you don't need a license, you don't, you know, get your red seal and then you you have a license to practice. Mm-hmm. It's just that history that when you don't have a red seal, then you don't get to work here as a, as a you know, in our professional setting. You don't get hired by a Coast Mountain bus as a mechanic if you don't have your red seal trade. So that is how it is bred through the history of those trades. But with hairdressing, oh no, it doesn't matter. Like right now there isn't a, it isn't, you know, it's not, there's nobody pushing that we need to ensure that our hairstylists, especially new hairstylists coming into the industry work towards a red seal trade. Right. And there is nobody mandating that. There's no one pushing that conversation apart from the likes of the hairstylist articulation group um, and the post-secondary institutions that are on board and, and a couple of the privates that are really trying hard too to have this. There is nobody else pushing that. There's no government body pushing that mandate to say, let's get all of our new hairdressers pursuing a red seal. Okay. So explain to me why it's, it would be beneficial for the, for the system to have a compulsory trade in hairstylist and esthetician. So I'll go, I'll go first with regards to my industry. <laughs> so Tim right Carson, <laughs> no, so hold on to your seat. Okay, no, Tim, so Tim, yeah. so Tim, your background is plumbing. 
Correct. And that's your trade. However, Correct. Tim Carson today can buy a $150,000 laser machine. And in your home, you can, um, or maybe, you know, your wife might have a practice doing something. You, you can actually do laser skin treatments on anybody. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have any regulation to do I'm that. Sure people would want to come to me for you can do <laughs> you can do um, uh, any LED treatments, any invasive skin treatments. You can use aromatherapy oils on pregnant women. You can do whatever you want because there's no regulation. There is no standard okay, let, of training. Let me press pause. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what what about? What about Health and Safety Canada or, or the Health uh, Authority of, of British Columbia? Like what, what about the health, of, like the health regions? Don't they have anything to say about stuff like that? <laughs> well, no. I mean, there <laughs> oh, is. Oh, got you. Yeah, there is. There's, there's nothing. So first there's of all, nothing. we have the regu- So first of all, we have the standard of education. So, right. um, so you know, there is. So in countries like Australia and the UK and South Africa, like where they have these uh, regulations for standards. So you would have to do, you would have to do, um, say in the UK, MVQ level two and three, which is two or three years of training first. Then you do your MVQ level four, which is laser training or your invasive training or your Indian head massage, your start to get more advanced therapies. Um, So any consumer would know this person has done at least three years of training before they've used laser on me and right. um, because they have to do an MVQ level four in order to use a laser. So okay. the consumer is aware that there's a lot of training that's gone on there. And so the health authorities um, in the UK know that this person needs to have like an MVQ level four in order to purchase a machine sure. and do this certain treatment. And their insurance is set up in a way there's different um, associations that run insurances that especially for the personal services industry that mm-hmm. support them with electrolysis or needling, whatever it is that they're doing. That doesn't exist here in BC. Okay. So we don't have specialized insurance. We've worked really hard to educate insurance companies on how mm-hmm. to insure spas and salons. Um, but apart from the health authorities going into a spa and salon and making sure that we're using the right disinfectant procedures and we, we're using the right um, standards of sanitization, mm-hmm. there is nothing else that is that is looked at within the skin and body therapy field. Really? No. That's crazy. Because I don't know if you remember this, but the, mm, this is probably about four or five years ago now, maybe in a little bit longer. There was a, there was a big push to shut down spas who are offering this this thing that they would do with fish that you put your feet in yeah. this bowl mm. and they would let the fish yeah. eat your skin off like that's yeah. just gross yeah but that they shut it down not because that whole process is because gross because of the fish tim carlson because of the it fish, was because <laughs> of the fish. <laughs> well here here it is it, it was because it was it was a health violation because the fish would go to the bathroom in the water and your feet are in the water. And if your feet have a cut in it, then people were getting infected. Right. And so <laughs> they, they shut down that procedure because they were, people were complaining that they were getting sick from this procedure and, yeah. and off they go. So from a, from a plumbing perspective, like a plumbing inspector perspective, as long as we're protecting the drinking water in the premise and from the city, from that procedure, 
you can do whatever you want. And, and I'm sure that there's checks and balances when it comes to getting a business license and they come to your house and inspect it. But I could buy, I don't know, not that I would go out and buy, spend 300 grand on a laser machine to put in my garage, but. People, people can do this. So this is, this is the kind of thing yeah. that goes on when and let's say my, my girls go out to uh, somebody's home to get their hair cut. And this is, this is the kind of thing you're talking about. Yeah, and you can see the levels of concern here are very different because with, you know, there's certain, if you get a bad haircut, you know, I mean, it is, it's almost as tragic as the fish situation for sure. But <laughs> if you get a bad haircut, you know, it's very emotionally upsetting and, and things like that, but it's obviously not a health risk to most. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we have to remember that it's not that long ago with hairstylists, they were using that uh, chemical that yeah. had formaldehyde formaldehyde in. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, that was the, um, you know, the suppliers that were a fault there because even though that had been cleared, um, cleared the whole um, health and safety, then they found out later that it was risky. So there are chemicals being used by hairstylists that can do a lot of damage and do serious damage. And um, so there is a risk there. But most of the time with hairstylists, you're not going to be in such a risky situation mm -hmm. if you're having your hair cut and blow dried. So your daughter's going to maybe a home salon, but it's not just home salons. You know, I remember visiting a spa that was on Robson Street, so downtown Vancouver, and it had been taken over by a new, um, an, a, a couple that had just moved to the country and they'd taken it over. And the upstairs of this spa was um, a hair salon. And somehow they word got out that I was there working with the ITA on their hairstylist um, curriculum. And the owner of the salon and spa came downstairs and she said, I've got a lady there and her hair is a level four and I need to bleach it. She wants to be blonde. So because she's a four, do I use 40 volume in this bleach, you know, with their, their lightener mix? So this is person that actually does not know anything about the chemical properties of, of you know, performing this treatment whatsoever. And that's an extreme example, but those examples exist. Sure. Now, when you think, okay, this is the standard, these people are also doing your manicures and your pedicures, and you can watch them pass those instruments from one person to another. So they'll use them on my ugly toes and then they'll go and use them on your toes. Now, um, I want to, I, I just want to step in before we carry on. There are spas that are doing exceptionally well yes, out there. Totally, totally. And there are salons that are doing it. And, and they are like, we know there's no standard. This is our standard and it's, it's yeah. where it should be. Right. And, um, and you need to do your education as a consumer to f sort out which of those spas and salons are doing it right. Oh my um, and you need to find out where they took their training, where they went, you know, where they went to school. Um, you know, look at the Fraser health. If you're in the Fraser health region, look at the reports of the spa salon, right. see how they've been doing. There are ones that are doing it very well, but there are many that Sally is referring to. 
Yeah. yeah, and Lucy, on that note, that's a big responsibility for the consumer, isn't it? Like, it why, is. why would we expect the general public to be able to, you know, perform this sort of level of research yeah. before they attend a spa or something? I mean, you trust that there's a health and safety for restaurants that we go into and we know that restaurants get shut down. Um, how often do we hear of spas and salons getting shut down because of these health and safety checks? And I think that um, COVID-19 has really brought that whole issue forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and when we look back to what was going on in April and May this year. I mean, we were working as many groups were, many small groups were working with the Health Ministry of BC to put together policies and procedures for hairstylists and, and spa professionals to reopen their businesses. But it's all a bit of a you know, it all comes into this whole thing of not valuing these professions. And I mean, maybe, maybe this is very timely with COVID happening and COVID's obviously going to be with us for quite a while. Um, when we think about that, we're also looking at that, you know, changing government here in BC, well, not change, but consistency in government. And maybe we are, this is a good time for trades to be recognized again when we think of trades such as carpentry that were deregulated and as you said Tim earlier it's really quite concerning isn't it when you look at um, you can, the construction that's all around us and, and I do know that there are certain standards there has to be a red seal carpenter on site but why would you not have everybody going through that system um, you know, it, it is quite baffling, I think. So I'm, I'm yeah. hopeful that, that this is a conversation that's really, I'm glad that you brought it forward, Lucy, because I think it's a conversation that becomes, so we, we end up accepting it because you fight, you know, for many, many years. And yeah. it appears that you've got momentum going. And, and mm. I know, Lucy, you've been doing a lot of work. You've been very active. But it's been a bit of a. I've watched, you know, it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, I um, I'll give you a bit of a synopsis, Tim, on like the last, like since since I kind of came in to Canada. So I I was asked to join the personal services committee that was put together by the by the the province of BC, um, and it was put and it invited people that were in the trade of skin and body therapy and hair design to come together and start to look at this regulation and start to build a, a case here. And that's where I met um, Louise Danhauer, who I've literally worked with every day since, since meeting her then. And we, um, we, went, we went through this procedure. We saw there was all these issues in our trade and that there was nobody leading the way. There was no one, there was no one with that, um, you know, with that idea of we need to make a standard here of trade. We went and we we created a um, uh, we went to Victoria and we said what should we do we want to start to look at regulating this trade um, and we they said okay well you need to look at see we went to the ITA BC and the ITA said you need an ITO at the time um, and this training organisation there were seven in BC none of which would accept our trade even even a hospitality focused one. 
And, um, and then they said, okay, well, now you need to start an association to prove that there are people in the province that want regulation. We started a whole associ- association and we, hold on a second, my daughter's just come to say hi. We started a whole association <laughs> and um, we went to the spa show every year. We had a membership, we had policies, procedures, we had a, a fully established association and we took that to the ITA and then there, there was just a turnover every year of people. So we had to keep on re, you know, restating our case. We all, all of us who was on this board for this association, um, there was about six of us. And we, you know, we all went over to Victoria constantly trying to speak to the ministry <laughs> and say that we have, say that we have these issues. And, um, and no one would listen to us. Nobody. Nobody would listen. And it's been a struggle tooth and out. And we are no further today in 2020 than we were when we started this process. And I think I met Louise in, in 2009. And we have not, we have not, nothing's changed. So do you think it's an issue? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's so cute. Do you think it's an issue of money? Um, and and, and I, I bring that up because I know in my own trade, like, you have to be a plumber to work on systems. Like you have to be a plumber to pull permits, uh, plumbing permits to have inspections, not just a plumber, but you have to be a ticketed plumber. Like you have to have your red seal. Pardon me. And, and in some situations you have to show your ticket when you're going to buy certain equipment. So like if I go to home Depot, they really don't care that, that I'm a plumber or not. In fact, I've run into people who are selling plumbing material who aren't plumbers. They have no idea what they're doing. And in fact, one guy uh, confessed to me, I'm an electrician. I don't even know why I'm in this department. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is, this is ridiculous. Um, so I, I know that there's stuff going on with there, like even job sites, like, the, you know, when inspectors come to job sites, not everybody on site is even an apprentice, let alone ticketed. And so there's some enforcement there at a, at a lower level. But when I, when I ask the money question, I know that there's a lot of people getting home renos done and they have, they have the choice to go uh, through a licensed contractor who will pull permits, get this stuff inspected so it's legit. And then there's a spectrum of contractors who essentially do the whole job themselves. So they'll do the carpentry, they'll do the electrical, they'll do the plumbing, they'll mm. do the HVAC, they'll do the carpet and the tile. Uh, they'll do the drywall. <laughs> they'll even do the painting. So they're a one or two person shop and they do it all they're, and they're not ticketed in anything or perhaps mm-hmm. they may have a ticket or experience as a carpenter, but then they look at the electrical and they go, ah, oh, that's easy. Or they look at the plumbing and go, ah, oh, that's easy. And they go on YouTube and they watch a bunch of videos and they think that they can do it. Um, and you know, the trouble is, is that sometimes that works. <laughs> sometimes it works. Yeah. Like they, they, they get it done and, and nothing happens. But sometimes it doesn't work. And then I get a phone call from somebody saying, hey, I had this person in. It's all gone sideways. I need you to come in and fix this. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. no, I'm not doing that. And gas is even trickier. Mm-hmm. Like gas is really regulated. And it should be because, you know, I could, I could blow things up pretty quickly. And, and no kidding. And, yeah. you know, uh, there's... And, and the ticket that I have, I'm unlimited in the amount of input that I can work on. Like I can work on burners up in the millions of BTU ranges, which to put in perspective, your furnace is about 60 to 70,000 BTUs, maybe a hundred thousand BTUs. 
And now I'm working on equipment that's millions of BTUs. So I have to be ticketed and, and obviously mm-hmm. regulated. And that's, you know, it's dangerous work, some of this stuff. But I come back to the money question because I go, okay, so I, I, this is going way back. And forgive me for the long, the long meander here. But way back, I dated a girl who went to one salon downtown every four months. And, and this is like, I'm going to give myself away. This is about 30 years ago. <laughs> and when she Jim was, was three. That's right. When the dinosaurs were still walking on the earth. Name. Right. Uh, I st- and the salon's still there, by the way. Um, I won't name, make names. Uh, mention names. I won't make names. I won't make up names. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my point is, <clears throat> she spent a lot of money going there. A lot of money. And I know that there are people who can't spend that money. So they go to other places and they, and they, and some of these places that you're talking about, whether they're commercialized or in somebody's house. And I know the spectrum's there too. Like somebody who may have been in a salon and and they've got kids now and they can't go to a, a specific spot. So they open up a place in their house. We see this all over the place, not just in hairstylist or, or in contracting. You see it in early education too. You see, you know, People have kids in their home and they're doing preschool in, in their home, but it's regulated. So what you're saying is there's no regulation body. There's no inspector who comes and looks there's other than the health authority or, or the, or the um, municipality for the business license. So there's, if something goes wrong, there's, there's no checks right. and balances in place. Is that what, right. that's what you're saying? Yes. There it is and- this year. So this is the interesting thing. COVID COVID. um, hit and all the salons and spas were closed down. Right. Um, Unless you're Nancy Pelosi who just shows up at a salon anyway and does whatever she wants. Sorry, I had to slip that in. I couldn't resist. No, that's great. But but I want to make uh, something clear about even with COVID. If you can remember all of the chatter on all of the talk you know, even by um, Dr. Bonnie Henry about hair salons. But did you ever hear her talk about spas? Not once. And when there was, oh yeah, we're going to open up the salons, the salons need this prestigious salon. Spas did it by themselves. Mm-hmm. They, there was, um, the, we, we actually were contacted about hair. And um, it was uh, Louise and I who are not hair trained and we support the hair articulation because we're trying to create uh, that articulation movement for skin and body therapy. And Sally said to us, like, come into this conversation. And so we put in mandate on that WorkSafeBC procedures about spas Mm -hmm. because there there wasn't any discussion around spas and skin centers. So the ones that, went out and did it. And we opened up when they said, oh, hair salons can open today. Spas said, I guess we can too. And spas right. opened the same day, but we weren't given the go ahead. We wasn't not given the go ahead. We wasn't even discussed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But, and I think, you know, it reflects this whole, um, Tim, you mentioned money. And when you mentioned money, I began to think, you know, about the hierarchy of trades and yep. we've spoken about this before it's in the literature. Um, and there's definitely a hierarchy and we sort of, we place it around safety. You mentioned, you know, working with, with gas, electrical, we all go, yes, absolutely. We don't mm. want anybody messing with this. 
And yet we're like, say construction carpenters. Yeah. Like, okay, that's fine. That's wood. It's stacked up, you know, however many. (laughs) It's a visual safety issue. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to, you know, hair and beauty, it gets, it, what what's going on here? Is it because it's just it's not recognised for, um, like Lucy mentioned her training, and uh, she was three years at community college. I mean, that's you know the the same the same amount of time as we see um, degrees are achieved in the UK. So a undergrad degree in the UK is three years. And, and so Lucy's doing three years at college in the UK to get her, um, I get credential Lucy there. So is it that we're not actually recognizing the complexity of the trade, the complexity right. of this, um, you know, from a knowledge and uh, perspective? And then why is this, who is it serving? I guess that's my big question here. Who is this serving? Is it serving the general public because they can pay less for these treatments? But having said that, Tim, you mentioned, you know, maybe you, you know, the whole thing of of choosing somewhere that's a very um, high price level and maybe you can't afford to go there. But some of those very, very pricey places are still the same. They have people there. There won't be a Red Seal hairstylist in Mm. the house. And there will be people with very um, little education on the spa side as well. And yet they're charging, like the building, the whole facade of this experience is there in the, yeah, in the, you know, the features in that salon and the way that the the staff are presented. So, yeah, I think think there's many layers to this. It makes me think about perspective, right? Because, you know, you can go to a high-end restaurant. They can still have problems in the kitchen, right? It, yeah. It, you know, the end product looks awesome and it tastes fantastic. And you probably won't have an experience like that almost anywhere else in, in the city that you're in. So that, I mean, that's why you go there, right? But you, you don't yeah, know what's going on behind the doors. But you're never going to go to a restaurant where there's no Red Seal chef. Very rare. Very rarely well, do you do that. I mean, especially in the, you know. Yeah, and but you don't. But you don't have to be a Red Seal chef to no. cook in a restaurant. That 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 that's the similarity, right? Yes, and but we should hold that there because the red. I'm so glad that you mentioned restaurants because this is they, That's one trade that managed to turn this round. Yeah. So if you think back a few years ago, the um, culinary arts departments they all got this whole movement going around Red Seal for culinary arts. And they got um, White Spot to buy into this. And White Spot said, we will not hire you unless you're Red Seal. And they did, there was this huge media launch with it, huge campaign. And you'll see on all the White Spot restaurants, they've got the Red Seal on the door. The same thing with BC Ferries, which I know is White Spot. So industry bought into it. So really that was industry driven. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong here, Lucy, because at the time I wasn't really following it that closely. It became more 
um, more important as I move forward with hairstylist and the articulation committee. But it needs, it needs the industry to recognize the value of these credentials. So many, maybe it does come back to what Tim is saying around the money piece of it. Will I have to pay you more if you're Red Seal? So can I get away with paying you less if I don't demand that everybody is Red Seal? So I, you know, we're looking well, at the money for the answers. Yeah, the, the, the money piece is, is twofold because there's, um, you know, I people are still paying $200 for a facial and their, their, their facialist might have only had hardly any training like there mm-hmm. uh, you know so i think that people consumers will know yeah i'm paying this price because this person is um you know red seal endorsed they've had a certain amount of training they're a professional so and i know if i go to someone that doesn't have their red seal it's going to be cheaper but i can't expect to have this type of service or this this type of treatment um you're right that the that the cook uh, program um professional cook uh, was, you know, was was pushed forward by industry. There was also the way it was managed through the ITA was very differently than how it was hair was managed um, in grandfathering people in and and chefs into the program, especially senior chefs who could prove their level of um, experience within the trade. And it was these chefs that said, like, you know, this is very important to us. We need to make sure all new chefs coming in. You now can't go to a culinary school, especially in the post-secondary, where it's not part of that, you know, Red Seal trade. Mm-hmm. Even though in the private sectors, are, you know, they're all part of that Red Seal endorsement pathway. Um, but regarding money from the government end, it would be very expensive to obviously um, deliver the program in which I took here because it was we're doing it at VCC and, you know, uh, post-secondary institutions like VCC are, uh, you know, doing the, delivering the skin and body therapy program. We're delivering the outcomes that are done over three, two or three years in the UK in 10 months here. So there's no way the standard is going to be not necessarily the standard, but the, the, the student that exits the program isn't going to have, um, as much confidence in the trade as they would obviously if they'd been spending two or three years training the trade. Um, the other thing is I never sat a multiple choice exam in my entire life until I moved to Canada. just want to throw that in. So oh. every single exam that I did. Every single exam. This yeah. is for Nikki for our authentic, authentic assessment plug uh, next week. But this is, um, yeah, I'd, I've never, all of the exams I ever took were, you know, I got... The, I got the human body and I had to label every part of the nervous system myself. I had to label it all. I didn't have, you know, out of these four names, what do you think is a nerve? Like, no, that's not what the questions were. I had to label the, the muscular system, the skeletal system. Um, I had to know the endocrine system, the olfactory system, the digestive system, the reproductive system, all of, all of the systems in the body I had to know inside out to be able to do aromatherapy or lymphatic massage or full body massage. This is the type of detail that we have to go into within our trade. And there are, there are schools like, you know, like BCC and, and other post-secondaries that, uh, and some of the privates that, you know, we're kind of looped in with that we're working with that are trying to deliver this to this standard. But because it's way too expensive for a student to go to school for two years here to do aesthetics because when they leave they're on minimum wage 
pretty right. much. Um, where in the UK, it's um, the education, the post-secondary education that I took was free because I graduated high school at 16 and I and any education under the age of 19, so I went to college till I was 19, it was all free, paid for by the... By the so if you can imagine it kind of like how the, the youth training trades programs are sure. now, yeah. where you can, in high school, you can kind of go into that chosen trade at 16. Um, so all of the training was free. So I left with, um, with this NBQ level three, mm-hmm. starting to pursue an NBQ level four um, with no debt. Um, so I didn't mind going into a, a, you know, a, a less paying job and start to work my way up um, just because of that reason. So, so do you think you know, that's, do you think that brings us back to the perspective piece again? Because there's a, there's a huge difference, obviously, just in the history of of trades training in Europe, especially in Britain to Canada. I mean, no one would deny that. There's there's a there's a huge history and, and an interesting history behind guilds and their influence. Uh, upon governments, even going back to when there Absolutely. were monarchies, you know, the, the influence that they have on monarchies and then eventually governments. Uh, and then, you know, and then it kind of collapsed on themselves and then they, they've seemed to, to build them back up. But there's, you know, there's, there's a hundred plus years of history of guilds in England from my own trade. Um, it doesn't mean that plumbing wasn't around before then. It's just, that's when they finally got their act together and um, without giving a whole history lesson, they 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 brought the system together and and are, did what you were essentially talking about. Mm-hmm. So it brings me back to the perspective piece again, uh, of just just how valuable are people in the system seeing the trade that you are involved in, right? From consumer all the way through yeah. to educator, trainer, even government, um, because. Like I said earlier, if, if I make a mistake gas fitting, somebody dies. If, if you make a mistake coloring hair, yeah. chances are somebody's not going to die. No, it's very rare that the consequences are that great. I right. mean, it, you know, it is rare. There are people that, you know, we could dig deep and we would find people that have maybe been had chemical burns and lost hair permanently lost um, hair and things like that but the risk is is quite low having said that you know the the time of hiv that was i mean i say at the time so there's still the whole, you know, bloodborne pathogens issue. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody doesn't have that understanding, I mean, they are putting you at risk. And I think um, especially in barbering, which is another trade that yeah. isn't regulated in any way, and you're looking at straight blade razors, which are coming into hairstylist, into the hairstylist trade as a uh, when we're harmonized in April mm-hmm. 21. So we, we need to be, we need to be, our health and safety practices need to be at that level um, of bloodborne, where we're focusing in on those, those levels of, um, oh, level of infection control, which has come to the forefront right now with COVID-19 as well. But I think that, yes, I think that these things are being missed and maybe they're missed in your education. 
or maybe you're performing the procedures. So if you go into a hair salon and you see the procedures being carried out, you assume that the, the, the practitioner actually has an understanding of what they're doing and mm-hmm. how, um, I mean, we see all the time that plastic utensils that are supposed to be single use utensils, we see them being placed into yeah, the, well, the autoclave and then we see these those um, types of machines. <laughs> we see the, those machines that look a little bit more like a microwave. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, they're not the autoclave. That's exactly what I was going to say. So people will say, oh, the sterilizing unit. And what they mean is the sanitizing unit. And does right. the gen- general public really understand that sanitizing just means, I mean, when you wash up, when you wash your dishes, mm-hmm. you sanitize your dishes. This is not sterilization. Yeah. So I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot of risk in there, but I do think that money is playing a big part in it, mm-hmm. um, especially around the education piece, that valuing of education. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a good point because I think a lot of people misunderstand that difference between sanitization and sterilization. And, and one of the ways I explain it, the, the easiest is it's your dishwasher, your dishwasher in your home uh, st- sanitizes because it doesn't get above a certain degree of temperature in the water. You go to a commercial kitchen, uh, it, it will sterilize because it gets above a certain degree of temperature in the yeah, water. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it you, has to. you were talking about like um, with the plumbing, so you know, there being massive explosions. There. And, and there's also, a huge difference when you know, it comes if to you don't do things right. But right? what the, mm-hmm. you see different. in these things like your industry, like heavy mechanical trades, you know, electrician, carpentry, is, is there's, there's a physical fear. You can see that there's a physical danger that if you do not do this, this can happen, mm-hmm. or there's a huge ferry engine hovering above your head and it could fall if it's not, you know, that. but in, in our trade, yeah. you can catch AIDS, HIV, AIDS. You can get, you can get, um, you know, t- um, um, uh, uh, hepatitis um, you can get severe burns. You can tear the skin. You can um, put, use aromatherapy oils on people that have, contrary indicators they have cancer they might be pregnant so you could progress Mm -hmm. these diseases and disorders um but they're not visual like like you would see as a as a safety measure in some of the bigger trades even though they could just be as fatal Mm -hmm. to the consumer not necessarily it can also be the practitioner as well if they're not putting in safety measures but to that consumer you know so there there is and if you start to research and go through the type of injuries that have happened and the type of things that have gone on and the, the fish thing that we were talking about earlier yeah it was kind of gross how they do it but if you it's just like using a needle on the three of us the same needle that's the fish thing because it would be you know eating away at my skin and I, there could be blood and they're eating away at yours and then eating away at sally's so we're they're passing now right anything that's happening in my body to yours and to Sally's. So that was one of the main reasons why that was removed. So, so, um, but you could still be doing it with a cuticle clipper because I could be clipping mine and then clipping yours and then clipping Sally's and not sterilizing it and sanitizing it correctly and doing the right procedures. And, and now anything that's going on in my body could now be passed on and so forth. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. you, 
you well, know let's what, just make Lucy? it clear nobody's gonna be cutting my cuticles anytime soon so <laughs> Yeah. No, no, no I, cuticle um, cutting parties here. But... In these countries, it's I, awesome. As I may have mentioned before, like I worked in Trinidad and Tobago for about oh. four years on a project, and the partner. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought I'd get in there because I knew we were about to run out of time. So I just wanted to know. But I, my partner in this project was um, an esthetician from uh, VIU esthetician program. And so one of our big initiatives when we were there was to teach health and safety in the hair esthetician and barbering trades. Mm. And I was quite shocked when we went to visit a barber and their men have their eyebrows shaped about every 10 days, but they do it with just a razor blade. So remember the old star Wilkinson razor blades, they would come in a little pack, you take them out and they would just take this razor blade and they would just etch out these beautiful shapes in eyebrows. But because it's a razor blade, there would be spots of blood that would show and we were watching this and we were told by this barber, yeah, I only ever use the same blade on six people. So um, <laughs> Leslie, yeah, there you go. So only six people, so nothing Not too seven. much to worry That's about. Never yeah, seven. Never seven. Never go over six. Yeah. And so the interesting thing there was that Leslie and I then actually had to teach infection to control. Now, we worked with a youth trade organization, fabulous group, and we worked with, uh, we were ready to deliver this workshop on um, infection control. And we ended up, the instructors came, the managing management team then said, we want that workshop. And then the whole team of directors said, we need this workshop. So we ended up delivering it three different times and there were 20 to 30 participants in each group. Now, what I really took away from that was what I learned most about that when you're teaching infection control to that level and you're looking at a national standard being implemented on what you're teaching is you understand it a lot better than what you did before. And what my biggest takeaway was that I actually understood the practices that were going on in BC, which I didn't realize at the time. And that was the most shocking thing that here we are teaching this because Trinidad are saying, HIV AIDS is, you know, this is a contamination point here. We need to change these practices. And then I came back to BC and looked around and looked at our practices and realized, hang on a minute, there isn't standardization here. Hmm. And we do have the health, um, the health team, help me out here, what are the health and safety mm-hmm. now visiting salons and I assume spas. And I think of my, COVID, my, yeah, I mean, my final thought, my final takeaway here would be that, and um, you know, we really start looking, it's going to start Lucy, with I'm, education. It always does. So we really need to look at education as a whole um, and how we're delivering it and the type of standard that we um, that we need to pursue, and I, I really don't know where to start from here, but we need to we need to not recreate the wheel and look at you know what the other countries are doing and why it's successful. And I feel that the um, you know when when it comes down to like the type of training that we have, I mean, I've even been looking at ITEX and BTEX like from the UK, like should we follow this lead because we're not seeming to get anywhere in in BC. But I'm going to keep 
you know, working with the people, the passionate people that are dedicated to this and, and keep pushing forward and seeing how far we can get and seeing if we can create something that will elevate our profession and protect the consumer um, at the same time. And it's an ongoing discussion. And I hope that I can come back and talk to you about how we are trying to progress through that. Yeah. Uh, yeah well of course you're always welcome back and uh, <laughs> this is a great place to get up on that soapbox and, and blow that trumpet um thank you for sharing i love uh, how layla's there as well did you hear her she's lila yeah lila yeah she is i know <laughs> and there's poor patrol happening as well a mother of the year right now but She's just found my jelly tots, my British sweets that are in my drawer, oh. and she's now got the jelly tots. Well, it'll be an interesting day today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for, for being on the show and uh, very important discussion, not just the health and safety piece, but just the recognition of, of what you're doing and putting value behind it. Because really, I think that's even lies behind the, the perspective piece is the value of what you're doing and the, the impact that it has, not just in the lives of those who practice, but also those in the lives of those who receive. And so, uh, yeah, we need to continue this conversation and we will. So thanks so much for being here and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Hey everybody, thanks again for taking the time to listen to the podcast. We really appreciate it. We know that there are a ton of podcasts out there and you only have so much time in your life to listen to them all. And we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to ours. We're honored that you're here, that you're visiting us and that you've uh, grabbed your beverage, you've sat down, put your headphones on. Maybe you're out for a walk and you get your headphones on. Maybe you're driving. We don't know, but we care and we are thankful that you're here. So if you haven't subscribed yet, would you please subscribe? That'd be awesome. And if you've already subscribed, how about you leave a review? We're gonna start reading those reviews out pretty soon. We just wanna accumulate a few more so that we can keep going for a few more weeks. That would be awesome. Anyways, take care, be safe, take a mental break. Sometimes get off that social media. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.